0: New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text SNAP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text
1: SNAP to 500-500. When Sarah Pender met Richard Hull, the attraction was immediate. I'm already picturing like our house in the suburbs. I'm
2: already putting together our American dream. But their reality would be a bit more crowded. He says, "Hey, I've a buddy and his girlfriend want to come up. Do you mind if they come here and stay with us for a couple of days?" The arrangement didn't last for long.
3: Their roommates have been found dead. Her whole
4: head was misshapen. It didn't even look like a real person.
3: We we're dealing with a double homicide.
1: The investigation of the gruesome crime led to a startling confession. And a jury would have to decide, was Sarah a criminal mastermind?
4: I referred to her as a female Charles Manson
1: or was she just a victim of circumstance?
2: You know, in every horror film, there's always some really stupid white girl that follows the trail of blood into the house. I swear to God, that's real. That's me.
1: INDIANAPOLIS, INDIANA, OCTOBER 25, 2000. IT WAS AROUND 6 PM WHEN A TEAMSTER'S EMPLOYEE STEPPED INTO THE ALLEY BEHIND THE UNION'S LOCAL HEADQUARTERS TO PUT THE DAY'S TRASH INTO A DUMPSTER.
3: THERE WAS AN INDIVIDUAL THAT OPENED UP THE LID AND uh, SAW TWO BODIES INSIDE THE DUMPSTER.
1: A MAN AND A WOMAN RIDDLED WITH WHAT APPEARED TO BE MULTIPLE SHOTGUN WOUNDS. BOTH BODIES WERE ALL BUT MUTILATED.
5: There's nothing worse than a body that's been hit with shotgun pellets. The injuries that they sustained were horrific.
4: The stunned employee immediately called the police.
5: It's not the highest crime part of town. So the fact that this was a shotgun and murder made this a little different.
1: And once the police arrived, one thing quickly became apparent. They weren't looking at the original crime scene
3: there wasn't a lot of blood or coagulated blood that was inside the dumpster, which would be an indication to us that the dump site was different from the kill site.
1: The police had no clue as to where the couple had been killed. In fact, they didn't even know their identities.
3: These individuals, they didn't have any type of identification.
1: Their extensive injuries meant the victim's faces were essentially unrecognizable too but that didn't mean they were impossible to identify. Both victims had several distinctive tattoos.
3: They released the pictures of these tattoos. People may recognize, oh, I know that tattoo, and then you will start getting leads.
1: By the next afternoon, the investigators had the victims' names.
4: Neighbors recognized those tattoos as belonging to Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman.
1: But when the police went to the house where Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman had been staying, they soon had another mystery on their hands. The couple's housemates, 21-year-old Sarah Pender and 22-year-old Richard Hull, were also missing.
3: Their roommates have been found dead. We definitely want to find them. Born in 1979,
1: Indiana native Sarah Pender was only five years old when her parents split and her mother moved to California, leaving Sarah and her older
6: sister with their father. He had custody of them and he did a great job, you know, trying to do the best as a single parent and it was hard. By the time Sarah turned seven, her
1: mother was back in Indianapolis and back in her daughter's lives.
6: They'd be with me, um, you know, every weekend, and they'd live with me in the summer.
1: Despite her mother's return, Sarah struggled as she entered her
2: teens. When I was in high school, um, I went through the phase of trying to feed the emptiness inside of me with, with boys or drugs and, you know, drinking the parcel and that didn't work out real well for me.
1: However, by senior year, it looked as if Sarah's
2: rebellious phase had passed. I cleaned up my act, and I graduated high school and decided to go to college.
6: I didn't really worry too much about her because it was like she knew how to keep herself out of trouble and keep her head in her books.
1: Sarah got into Purdue University, but after a year of studies, money ran short, so she dropped out and went to work.
2: I found a a job at a a small construction office and uh, worked my way up from being a secretary to doing and reading blueprints. She
6: was also offered to be gone to to drafting school and um, to where she could go out and do the estimates on the jobs and things like
2: that. Although only 20, Sarah appeared well on her way to success. I'm paying my bills, I don't have debt, I own my own car, you know, I'm doing great, life is good. She soon had a new man in her life too. Sarah met
1: 22 year old Richard Hull at a concert in July of
2: 2000. Before I even saw his face or knew his name, I heard his laughter. So you have this joyous laughter coming from this bear of a man and I I see a silhouette and he's got a, a beer in one paw and a cigarette in the other and his shirts open and he's with this little round belly that just jiggles when he laughs and i thought oh my gosh i want to meet that man
1: a mutual friend made the introduction and that was all it
7: took and we hit it off instantly it's an instant attraction i i believe so i mean we had fun i mean we're both like flamboyant you know outgoing personalities both of
3: us
1: a former high school football star from the nearby small town of noblesville richard seemed larger than life
3: it looks like a big meathead You know,
7: I mean, even in kindergarten, I weighed 103 pounds. I was like a little (laughs) doughboy, you know.
1: Within a month, Richard had moved in and Sarah was planning their future together.
7: We just never left each other after that. We were together. That was it.
2: (laughs) I'm already picturing, like, our house in the suburbs. You know, I'm already putting together our American dream house. There were a few things standing in Sarah's way, though.
1: Not only was her new boyfriend essentially unemployed, he also had a rap sheet.
3: Richard kind of got involved up in in the drug culture and kind of started steering down the wrong track. I had
7: issues with alcohol and then later on came into drugs. I was my own worst enemy.
1: As far as Sarah was concerned, Richard's past didn't matter,
6: at least not at first. She said that he was very, very good to her, very caring and very attentive to sarah you know and sarah just kind of glowed and and it it made me feel good but i still yeah i still wasn't quite comfortable with the situation yet you know i didn't really know him in that but she seemed content then
1: in early august just a few days after moving in with sarah richard asked if an
2: old friend could crash at the apartment he says hey i've have- a buddy, when his girlfriend wanted to come up, do you mind if they come here and stay with us for a couple of days? His name was Andrew
1: Cataldi. And like Sarah, he'd first met Richard at a concert.
7: I was like a security guard bouncer, I guess, you know, hence. <laughs> and uh, I met Drew. He was passed out on a, you know, top of a trailer. I ended up helping Drew get down and everything. And I ended up giving him my phone number. And lo and behold, we, we just stayed in touch after that.
1: According to Richard, Andrew and his girlfriend, Trisha Nordman, had recently fallen on hard times.
4: Trisha Nordman and uh, Andrew Cattoli had had some uh, brushes with the law.
2: Then he tells me, OK, by the way, they walked away from a halfway house, and they have warrants. But since Richard vouched for his friends, Sarah said sure. It's a halfway house. You know, you walk away from a halfway house, that's not dangerous. You know, OK. When Andrew and Trisha showed up a few days later, Sarah figured she had made the right call. Drew is very a very outgoing guy. You know, he's very charismatic and they're very brotherly. You know, hey bro, you know, big hugs. Trisha's very quiet, um, very polite, and um, real sweet. And I you know, and so I'm like, this is great. In fact, the couples got on so
1: well that a week later, they even decided to rent a house together.
7: The apartment that we were in was only one bedroom, so we ended up getting a house that was literally down the street from Sarah's work. We're all moving in together,
2: and I just think it's like college, being in college, and you, know, you get roommates, you don't know.
7: Drew and Trish stayed in one room, and Sarah and I had another. I mean, you know, we'd share household work.
4: Paying the rent was a bit more problematic. Sarah Pender was the only one of the four people living at the house that were was working.
7: She was like an assistant office manager, you know, clerks type of thing. Um, she made good money.
1: Although, as Richard explained to Sarah, Andrew and Tricia made good money, too. He told
2: me that they were going to sell drugs. Sarah didn't object on one condition. My only request was don't sell him out of the house. He said, OK.
1: According to Sarah, Richard joined their new business, and for the next few weeks, things went well between the roommates. At least Sarah thought so. Thanks to their irregular business hours, she rarely saw Andrew and Trisha. I worked a Monday through Friday, eight to five job.
7: Drew got up here, you know, we did our thing and we had our own money and everything and we did what we had to do.
1: But according to Sarah, she eventually did see signs of tension between Richard and their roommates. Towards the end of September,
2: I came home and there was a hole in my wall. And I was like, why is there a hole in my wall? As well, that's where Drew's fist went through.
1: According to Richard, the disagreement stemmed from their business, or more precisely, it was due to their products, mostly meth and marijuana, which all four housemates frequently sampled.
7: I'm not gonna sit there and act like, you know, it was just him doing I mean, we all partied and did the drugs.
1: Even Sarah, although
6: she did try to keep things under control. She participated, but she was not one to overdo anything because of her job. Andrew didn't have as much restraint, according to Richard.
7: There's a difference between abuse and use, and he wouldn't even stop. It was just constantly, daily.
1: Soon the arguments between the business partners
2: became daily, too.
7: Drew's really not a bad, bad guy. He really wasn't, but drugs change people.
2: They went from being like brothers and partners to really adversaries. As the tension in the house mounted,
1: Sarah says she told Richard that things needed to change. I said, look, you know what,
2: please just stop selling drugs. Just get a real job and we can go settle down.
7: She was like, you really need to chill up."
2: He said, look, I, I can't do that, but I'll compromise. I'll get a part-time job.
1: But the job, bouncing at a nearby nightclub,
2: only escalated the drama between Andrew and Richard. He's working on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, which is the best nights for what they are normally doing. And by the middle
1: of October, two months after moving into the house, the situation had finally become
6: more than Sarah could take. She didn't like fighting. She didn't like disagreements.
2: She didn't like anything like that. I was really concerned about that, so I, I said something to Richard. And I said, you know, are you going to do something about that? Coming up, Andrew
1: and Trisha's bodies are discovered in a dumpster.
3: We were probably dealing with it with a double homicide.
4: But were there also two killers? He saw two people loading the bodies into the truck.
1: Indianapolis, Wednesday, October 25th, 2000. It was around 6 p.m. when a Teamsters Union employee made a gruesome discovery in a dumpster behind the local headquarters.
3: This person in this case, uh, you know, totally innocent, innocent, was just a person that found the bodies.
1: The bodies were of a man and a woman. Both had been shot multiple times.
3: It was clear to us that we were probably dealing with, with a double homicide.
1: And based on the wounds, the couple had been killed with a shotgun.
4: A shotgun was put up right next to his chest and, uh, and fired and just and blew the inside of his chest away.
1: The female victim's injuries were even more horrific.
4: She was shot to her head with a 12-gauge shotgun firing deer slugs, which are big bullets, big lead bullets. Right into her head, her her whole head was misshapen, and uh, it it didn't even look like a real person.
1: And that presented the investigators at the scene with a serious challenge.
3: These individuals, they didn't have any type of identification.
1: The victim's identities may have been a mystery, but did the dead man's pockets contain a clue as to why they died?
3: We did find methamphetamine, and and we thought there's some type of drug involvement.
1: However, if the pair had died in a drug deal gone bad, it hadn't gone down in the alley where the bodies had been found. Despite the gruesome injuries, the police found little evidence of blood in or around the dumpster.
3: It didn't appear from initial indication that this was the original scene of the murder. They shot him and dumped him
4: in a dumpster just a short distance away.
1: The fact that the victims had been dumped gave police a potential clue about the killer.
3: It may indicate that there is some type of relationship between the suspect and and the victim because they want to distance themselves from, from the individual.
1: Either way, the first priority was identifying the bodies. Hoping for a hit, the investigators entered both victims' fingerprints into the local police database. 90%
3: of the time, many of our individuals that are victims have been in the system at some time. They did not come up, which was a surprise to us.
1: Stymied at the local level, Indianapolis police turned to the state and federal databases. But those checks would take time. So in the interim, the investigators fell back to a less foolproof form of identification, tattoos.
5: They were distinctive tattoos that the victims had.
1: The next morning, pictures of the victims' tattoos and an appeal for the public's help ran on the local news. Soon after, a caller identified the victims as 26-year-old Trisha Nordman and her boyfriend, 25-year-old Andrew Cataldi.
5: Police were able to piece together who these people were based on their tattoos.
1: By the next afternoon, the FBI database had confirmed Andrew and Trisha's identities and explained why their prints weren't on file locally.
3: THE HITS CAME OUT OF, uh, I BELIEVE, LAS VEGAS, NEVADA. SO, um, YOU KNOW, we, WE WERE ABLE TO uh, CONTACT THE AUTHORITIES BACK THERE AND GET THEIR PACKETS.
1: NEITHER THE CALLER NOR THE COUPLE'S NEVADA FILE HAD AN INDIANAPOLIS ADDRESS FOR THE VICTIMS. BUT THE FILE DID PROVIDE SOMETHING THAT WOULD BE USEFUL, mugshots. SHOTS. INDIANAPOLIS POLICE SPENT MOST OF THAT THURSDAY CANVASSING THE NEIGHBORHOOD WITH THE PICTURES.
3: We were able to determine uh, that these individuals uh, lived, lived on Michael Street within a three to four block area from the Teamsters local where the dumpster was found.
1: And they hadn't lived alone. According to neighbors, Andrew and Tricia had shared the house for the last two and a half months with another couple, 21-year-old Sarah Pender and her 22-year-old boyfriend, Richard Hull. What's more, Sarah and Richard's landlord told police that they had disappeared around the same time as Andrew and Tricia.
3: He hadn't seen their car there for like maybe like a day and a half.
1: Was it a coincidence? The police
4: didn't think so.
3: There was definite reasonable suspicion and probable cause for us to obtain a search warrant.
4: The detectives uh, came out and uh, ended up going into the house. And when they searched the house that
1: afternoon, it didn't take the investigators long to determine that it was also the scene of the crime.
3: They awkwardly placed a couch in the middle of the room like we wouldn't have looked under the couch, but we moved the uh, couch and definitely saw what we believed to be evidence of, of where uh, a large amount of blood from either victims was soaked into the carpet, was on the walls, was on the couch.
4: Elsewhere in the room, police found more blood stains. A bed had been moved over a big spot of blood that was on the carpet, and that was away from the uh, couch.
3: It was fairly obvious, getting into the house, the way the uh, furniture was arranged in, the, in this one room, what we believed to be the room where the uh, individuals were killed.
1: As for who had killed Andrew and Trisha, a picture was beginning to emerge. According to what the neighbors told police, the last they had seen of Richard Hull was Wednesday morning when he'd come around looking to borrow something.
3: He asked to borrow a, a three-prong into a two-prong plug.
4: Richard Hull, that, uh, that Wednesday, had rented a, a rents vac to try to clean the floors and he needed a uh, an attachment because he could not plug the rinse back into the wall.
3: That would be what we call in the business another clue.
4: Clearly Richard Hull
1: knew something about the murders, but what about Sarah? Another neighbor whose motor home was parked behind Sarah and Richard's rental house provided what appeared to be
4: a crucial clue. There was somebody nearby it got up in the middle of the night and looked out and saw two people loading the bodies into the truck. By
1: late Thursday afternoon, barely 24 hours after Andrew and Trisha's bodies had been discovered, Indianapolis police felt they were close to cracking the case.
3: We've identified these people. They've been identified with the house. The other two roommates haven't been seen.
1: Now, all the police needed to do was find Sarah and her boyfriend. Luckily, Richard Hull's criminal record provided a starting point for the manhunt.
3: Richard's mother's address, the family address, up in Noblesville. So that's the best address that we have.
1: At 9 p.m. that Thursday evening, Indianapolis investigators and Noblesville police started surveillance on Richard Hull's family home. The police had only been watching the house a short time when Sarah and Richard arrived.
3: They drove up, we surround the car.
1: Both Sarah and Richard were quickly taken into custody.
3: They knew who I
7: was because of my past and everything. So um, they picked me up in front of my house.
1: Cuffed and placed in separate squad cars, the couple was driven to the Noblesville police station. Although, according to Sarah, she didn't yet realize just how much trouble she was in.
2: I'm thinking, I'm going to jail on possession
1: of marijuana. Not I'm going to jail on murder charges. Coming up, Sarah tells the police what happened.
6: There trail of blood coming out through the kitchen and out the back door.
4: But will the
1: police believe her?
4: She wasn't just an innocent bystander.
0: Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com/slash Snapped. That's simplysafe.com slash Snapped.
2: There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got rocket money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash That's rocketmoney.com slash Rocketmoney.com slash
1: October 27, 2000. At a little past midnight, 21-year-old Sarah Pender and her 22-year-old boyfriend Richard Hull were sitting in separate interrogation rooms at the Noblesville, Indiana Police Department. Suspects and the murders of their housemates, Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman, Indianapolis police had picked the pair up a few hours earlier, outside the home of Richard's mother.
3: We took them in separate cars to the Noblesville Police Department where we, we, we started our interviews.
1: The police questioned Sarah first, figuring she would be easier to turn.
3: Many times, unless they lawyer up, we will we will work one against, against the other.
1: And based on his criminal record, the police suspected Richard Hull had been the shooter.
3: My view was that he
4: probably did pull the trigger.
1: That's basically what Sarah said in the interrogation room, too. According to Sarah, Richard and Andrew had been arguing about money and drugs shortly before the shooting. Tired of their fighting, Sarah said she had stepped out.
2: I walk around the neighborhood. I, I decide, okay, I'm going to go get some cigarettes and just, you know, whatever.
1: Sarah told police that by the time she had returned home, Richard was already loading up the bodies.
2: I want to ask my son. What happened? And he's like, shut up and get the truck. Okay, I'm shutting up, get me in the truck. Sarah said she had been too scared to ask questions. All I could see was like these black pupils. It must have been from all the adrenaline, but I mean all I saw were these black eyes. And immediately the one clear thought I had was, oh, I'm about to die. She told police she got up and went to work on the morning
1: of October 25th. But when she got home that evening, Sarah said she had told Richard she couldn't stay in a house where two people had just been killed.
4: They got a motel room outside of Indianapolis and stayed there overnight.
1: Meanwhile, in the neighboring interrogation room, Richard was largely confirming Sarah's
2: story. They start interrogating him, and he confesses.
1: Although according to his confession, Richard had shot Andrew and Trisha in self-defense.
4: Richard Hull in his statement, had indicated that he confronted Catoli because some of the things Catoli was saying and threatening Richard Hull's family. This is what Hull said, that they struggled over the shotgun.
1: The detectives didn't buy it, especially since Trisha had been shot point
4: blank in the face. How do you explain self-defense and when you look at the cold-blooded murder of Trisha Nordman?
1: By the end of the day, the detectives had charged Richard Hull with the double murder of Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman. But with her statement essentially confirmed by her boyfriend's confession,
2: Sarah was set free. They were treating me as a key witness or whatever,
4: and um, they let me go. Well, Sarah Pender's uh, statement please uh, made sense at that point.
3: She just got hooked up with the wrong guy.
1: Just how wrong was quickly becoming apparent as the crime scene text continued to piece together what had happened inside the house. Preliminary testing of the blood found at the scene revealed that it was Andrew Cataldi's blood on the floor by the bed.
4: He wasn't sitting on the bed because the blood was on the floor away from the bed.
1: And it was Trisha Nordman's blood that the police had found underneath the couch.
4: Trisha Nordman, who was just sitting on the couch when she was obliterated.
1: Meanwhile, Andrew's autopsy provided a few more chilling details about the killings.
4: The pathologist told me that the angle of the shot was 30 degrees, meaning that Andrew Cataldi had to have been on his knees when he was shot.
1: Later that day, the investigators searched the hotel where Sarah and Richard had been staying. Inside, they found the murder weapon and more.
3: We find the receipts that come back to the Walmart.
1: According to the date on the receipt, the shotgun had been purchased the day before the murders. But the bigger surprise was who had made the purchase. If Sarah was simply an innocent bystander, what was she doing buying the murder weapon?
3: She's a lot uh, deeper in it than we thought.
1: And then there was the fact that Sarah admitted she had gone to work the morning after the murders, spending the day at her desk while
4: Richard was busy cleaning up the crime scene. Why wouldn't you tell somebody? Why wouldn't you get away from Richard All That's some of the stuff that made me think, we need to take a closer look at this, uh, this woman.
1: The investigators went to Sarah's office and questioned her coworkers. Strangely, they said she had seemed upbeat, even happy, the morning after the murders.
4: They had killed the roommate, so why would you be happy about that? Did one of Sarah's co-workers have the answer? Sarah, two to three days before the murder, told a co-worker that she was just tired of Trisha Nordman and Andrew Cataldi living there, and she wanted to get, get them out, get rid of them.
3: The more that we got into it, she was the one that I kind of think it was it was the mastermind behind this. She wasn't just an,
4: an innocent bystander. She had arranged the whole thing and participated in it and may have been involved in the actual shooting itself.
1: On Saturday, October 28, the investigators contacted Sarah and asked her to come into the Indianapolis station. Taken into an interrogation room and read her rights, Sarah agreed to talk. I don't have anything to hide. In the taped interview, she once again walked the detectives through the events leading up to the murders. According to Sarah, she and Richard had started the evening by visiting her father.
2: You know, he goes out with my dad. I go out with my stepmom.
1: Everything's great. But Sarah said that things took a turn for the worse when she and
2: Richard arrived home. As soon as we walk in the door, coming home. This is almost like 10:30, 11 o'clock at night. Drew is right on him. Drew had was yelling at Ricky about
6: something had to do with the phone.
1: Then, as the argument grew more heated, Sarah said that Richard had asked her to leave. He says, look, you don't want to be around for this. This ain't ugly. Sarah told the police she had readily agreed.
6: I didn't want to be around when they were arguing. So I went for a walk.
1: According to Sarah, she had returned to find that the front door had been locked behind her, and she didn't have her key.
6: She didn't understand why, and the front, uh, or the front door, was locked. And she went around back. When I walked around the back door, there was a large trail of blood, what appeared to be blood. I got to make out through the kitchen and out the back door.
1: Despite the blood, Sarah said she had gone inside.
2: You know, in every horror film, there's always some really stupid white girl that follows the trail of blood into the house. I swear to God, that's real. That's me. Sarah claimed the
1: blood trail had been from Andrew Cataldi's body, which was already on the truck.
2: Looking back, I think to myself, like, how could I be so stupid?
1: And when she walked in the house, Sarah said she had found Richard dragging Trisha's body toward the door.
6: Where do you have- Trisha's body on the ground, and he had told me that Drew had hurt him, and, uh, and I, I, I tried to talk to him, and um, I, was, I didn't know what to do.
1: Sarah told the police that she had only done what she needed to do
2: to survive.
1: Whatever had happened was going to happen to me. That's what I was afraid of.
2: And at that moment, I thought, if I ally myself with him and I'm not a threat, then I'll be okay. But what about
1: the murder weapon, the shotgun that Sarah had purchased just days before the shooting? According to Sarah, that had been Richard's idea. We had
6: talked about making that purchase for some time, but he had suggested that we go and we should do it this
2: weekend.
1: As for why Sarah had made the purchase herself, she had a ready explanation. He
2: had told me that um,
6: something about his past didn't allow him to buy it.
1: Sarah protested her innocence in vain. However, the investigators remain convinced that Sarah was far from the victim of circumstance she claimed to be.
3: We know that she is having a problem with them both. There was definitely not probable cause to believe. Uh, you know, that she was she was a part of, uh, of the murder.
1: At the end of the interview, the investigators took Sarah into custody. By that afternoon, she had been booked into the Marion County Jail on a pair of first-degree murder charges.
2: Never once in my mind did I ever think that I was going to be arrested for murder or that I even had anything to do with this. She
6: thought that if she told them the truth that, everything you know yes that she'd be in trouble but you know she wouldn't be in trouble for the murders and that wasn't the case it was just such a huge blow i mean it really knocked everybody off their feet and kind of threw everyone for a loop
1: coming up sarah stands trial and she says i'm not pleading guilty to something i didn't do and richard betrays her
4: He indicated that Sarah Pender had written this letter.
1: By July of 2002, 23-year-old Sarah Pender had been awaiting trial in a Marion County, Indiana jail for almost two years. Accused of killing her former housemates, Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman, Sarah had pled not guilty to the murder charges.
6: They wanted her to plead guilty to, you know, even a lesser charge. And she says, I'm not pleading guilty to something I didn't do.
1: Besides, she figured the murder charges were merely leveraged to ensure her cooperation against the man Sarah said was the real culprit, her boyfriend,
2: 24-year-old Richard Hull. I think what they were doing was overcharging me in order to get me to turn on him fully. Instead, it was Richard who
1: turned on Sarah. In January of 2002, a little more than six months before Sarah's trial was scheduled to begin, her boyfriend had made a deal with
4: the prosecutors. He was to plead guilty to murdering both Trisha Nordman and Andrew Cataldi. Uh, He was gonna say he was an accessory to it and didn't actually pull the trigger.
1: And Richard allegedly had proof. When his attorney approached the prosecutors about the plea, he also presented them with a letter
4: he had indicated that sarah pender had written this letter to him based upon the contents of the letter it was pretty apparent that at least somebody was holding themselves out to be sarah
5: pender if it wasn't sarah pender
1: and if sarah had written the letter what it
2: said was explosive
5: this letter basically said thank you you know implicating her in the crime where she took responsibility for the killings
2: now the story is and this letter is that i shot them in some drug induced rage and that he was this, you know, great savior to go and clean everything up for me and take the rap. And I'm just, you know, so grateful.
1: Sarah did write to Richard in prison, but she says the letter
2: in question was not from her. He had a buddy of his in jail forge a letter in my print. But when
1: Sarah's trial began on July 22nd, the prosecutor was prepared to make it the cornerstone of his case
4: this letter came the closest to to maybe the truth that, if anything, we'd seen.
1: In his opening statement, Prosecutor Larry Sells said that it ultimately didn't matter whether Sarah had actually shot Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman.
4: Sarah Pender uh, was primarily responsible for what happened because she either pulled the trigger uh, or she manipulated Richard Hall and got him to. According to the prosecutor, Sarah
1: wanted Andrew and Tricia out of the house. And she convinced Richard to kill them and
2: dispose of their bodies. Larry Sells just totally made it out to be like, I was this awful, evil, manipulative person that made this man do it. But would the jury believe that the pretty young woman was capable of such a
1: horrendous crime?
4: Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman were just shot point blank with a 12-gauge shotgun. It's hard to believe that this innocent-looking, uh, mild-mannered uh, young woman, Sarah Pender, sitting there at the defense table, actually participated in that.
1: In his open, Sarah's defense attorney told the jury that his client appeared innocent because she was innocent. He said that his client was only guilty of
5: trusting the wrong man. Nave argued that she wasn't even there at the time, and when she got back, there was nothing but blood and bodies in the house, and she was, you know, stunned and scared and forced to help clean up them.
1: And the letter? According to the defense, it was a forgery, what Richard Hull hoped would be his get-out-of-jail-free card.
5: The defense attorney tried to tell the jury, hey, this letter's a fake, he made it. He has nothing but time, so he forged it while he was in jail.
1: When the state started presenting its case that afternoon, the prosecutors faced one big hurdle, proving that their key piece of evidence was genuine.
4: Because of the fact this letter did not surface for months after the murder, there would be some question about who had authored the letter.
1: One person wouldn't face those questions, however. It was the man the letter was supposedly addressed to, Richard Hull.
4: I wasn't at at her trial at all. I didn't want to put him on a witness stand because I had questions about his credibility as well.
1: Instead, the prosecution's key witness was a handwriting expert who had compared the letter to samples of Sarah's writing.
4: Our handwriting experts determined that even though it was printed rather than cursive, that Sarah Pender was the author of that document. As for the murder itself,
1: just whose finger had been on the trigger didn't really matter, according to the
4: prosecution. If somebody helps somebody commit an offense, they're just as guilty as the person that did it.
1: The prosecution claimed Sarah had been in the house on the night of the murders, however. As proof, they called one of Sarah's neighbors to the stand. He testified to seeing two people loading the bodies onto a truck in the early morning hours of October 25th, 2000.
4: Sarah and Richard Hall were the only two people there alive. So Sarah had to be involved with
1: it. When the defense began its case on July 24th, Sarah's attorneys did the only thing they could do to defend their client, try and cast doubt on the prosecution's primary piece of evidence and the man who had provided it.
4: They knew that we were going to use that letter, so attack that letter. They, uh, They knew that we were not going to put Richard Hole on the witness stand, so attack the fact that we didn't do that.
1: But did that mean the defense was prepared to put Sarah on the stand to rebut the prosecution's claims that she had orchestrated the murder? The answer
4: was no. They could not put Sarah Pender on the witness stand, absolutely could not, because we would have eaten her alive. Of
1: course, sarah could have overridden the wishes of her attorneys and testified
2: anyway but she didn't my parents said shut up and trust the lawyers so of course i shut up and i trust the lawyers when the case
1: went to the jury at noon on july 25th the prosecutor was confident he had proved his case
4: if the evidence shows that at the very least she's an accessory that's
1: enough Sarah felt equally confident that the jury wouldn't be swayed by what she claimed was a forged confession.
2: Assisting a criminal, that's what I was guilty of. I thought, I'm going home with time served or I'll get some probation. Coming up, Sarah awaits her fate. I am willing to take responsibility for my actions.
1: And the jury makes its decision.
5: They probably think that's justice.
1: Indianapolis, Indiana, July 25th, 2002. After only three hours of deliberations, the jury announced it had reached a verdict in the murder trial of Sarah Pender. Accused of masterminding the murders of housemates Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman, Sarah claimed her
2: boyfriend, Richard Hull, was the real culprit. I didn't know that it was gonna happen. I didn't plan it, nothing. He was the one that, um, that shot Drew and Trish. But the
4: prosecutors had argued that Sarah was the one to blame. She was the driving force, the schemer, the manipulator. She's the one that uh, convinced Richard Hall to assist her. Which side did the
1: jury believe? As she watched the jurors file back into the courtroom, Sarah figured the short deliberations were a sign in her favor.
2: I thought, I'm going to get some probation. I'm going to go home and eat lasagna. And I was so happy. But then the
1: clerk read the verdict: guilty of two counts of first-degree murder.
2: I fell apart. I had no understanding why, why, you know. And I just kept thinking, you know, how can God let this happen? How can these people not see what has happened? And um, it was so, it was so surreal because I didn't expect it.
1: Sarah's family was
6: equally stunned. Guilty on both counts. It, it just, I didn't understand it. They didn't know my daughter. And they called her something evil. And that is the furthest thing from
1: the truth. At her sentencing hearing on August 22, 2002, the prosecutor even compared Sarah to the mass murderer, Charles Manson.
4: She may not have been involved in, in the deaths of as many people as uh, Charles Manson was, but she certainly had the ability to control people to commit horrific acts.
1: The judge sentenced Sarah to two consecutive terms of 50 and 60 years each.
4: Now she's doing 110 years in prison. She-
1: Never really get out. Five months later, Sarah's former boyfriend Richard Hull pled guilty for his role in the murders. He received two 45 year sentences, also to be served consecutively.
5: If you believe the prosecutors, they probably think that's justice.
1: But Sarah Pender remains adamant that Richard killed Andrew Cataldi and Tricia Nordman, and all she did was help him dispose of the bodies.
2: I am willing to take responsibility for my actions. I have, from day one, I have. It's not fair that I pay for someone else's actions. And there's a lot of people just like me who did things that they shouldn't have done, but then they get convicted of things that they didn't do because they because they weren't perfect people.
0: In 2003, Richard Hull admitted to forging the prison letter, incriminating Sarah. Despite Richard's admissions, Sarah's appeals were denied. In 2008, Sarah escaped from prison. She was captured four months later. Keith Morrison and Dateline NBC are bringing you a haunting new podcast called Mommy Doomsday. The disappearance of two of Lori Vallow's children in Rexburg, Idaho in September 2019 was one of the most bizarre cases the country had ever seen. It left behind a trail of death, devotion, and doomsday beliefs that captivated the nation. Listen to Mommy Doomsday from Dateline NBC wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment.